0: This is LameStream. He is Steve Cavendish. I am Braden Gall, and we are not talking about sports today. Um, we are brought to you by Jaspers, but we are not talking about sports. Um, Steve, we are going to have Dwayne Gang on uh, over a decade as the politics and investigations editor for the Tennessean. Uh, we are going to have Sandy Boonstra on from News Channel 5, the news director, um, the largest television station in the, in the market, and the legacy paper of record in the market covering what is an absolute tragedy on monday at covenant so um that is going to be the show we've got some 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 comments of course to make um afterward i've i've got one solution i guess i want to present to people uh from a media standpoint um but uh man uh what a week in nashville steve
1: yeah uh i i it was funny i was uh I can't even remember what I was doing there Monday morning uh, and got a text from somebody that said, hey, did you just see what the fire department said? Uh, which was initially a report that there was uh, an active shooter or a mass casualty situation at St. Paul's, which is across the street. Uh, it's across Hillsborough from uh, from Burton Hills where Covenant is. And so I hopped in my car and went over there. Um And you know we're in a we're in a situation where the banner's not a breaking news outlet per se right now we d- we're we're not staffed up you know at at some point here in the relatively near future we will be uh but but the it it, it felt sort of uh we, we Dimitri and I were both kind of like looking around for ways to cover this and kind of what could we do and so uh I was out there at the scene for most of the most of the morning and afternoon just to sort of see to see what it was and and to try to try to do a little bit of reporting uh about it and the 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 fascinating thing to me was how normal it felt mm. uh in, in a in a weird way um it, the, the 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 cops were uh you know the the, the police response was, was exemplary kind of to the actual crime, but the police response to the information kind of gathering sort of piece of this, that there've been kind of so many big things that have happened here in Nashville uh, within the last few years that they're, they have, uh, they have a fairly well oiled machine uh, in terms of kind of distributing information as it happens. And I, I, I was struck by the, i was i was struck by kind of like the tragedy of it but also the weird normalcy of it and i don't i'm still trying to kind of reconcile those things a few days later
0: no i think the weird normalcy is a good way to put it um again dwayne gang's going to come on and and explain how a paper goes about trying to acquire all the information that they did and how to report on it how to pull together stories work angles find out you know how do you when do you release victims names um, how do you with respect to families, try to paint a picture of who these victims are instead of just a name and a number? Um, Sandy from News Channel 5, of course has to worry about how everything looks, the visual live broadcast of being on air for seven, eight hours straight. Um, what can, what should you show? What should you not show? you know some of the ethical standards around that, reporting, the technology in terms of actually getting out to distribute that information to people in real time all the, like literally on air for eight hours straight. Um, But I think you know. I think the weird normalcy is very is a very apt way to put it. Like I have a copy and paste tweet that's ready to go, like in my head at all times because we've had to deal with this as a society for so long. Um, I have boilerplate conversations for on air podcasts and radio shows that I have like finely tuned over years of broadcasting because I know it's going to happen again and i tell people now look you it's like this is how it goes steve you have agency don't don't sit on your couch and scream into the void although that might be cathartic and make you feel good don't tweet thoughts and prayers it doesn't do a damn thing you have agency it, maybe it's just one vote maybe it's just 5 dollars maybe it's just 10 minutes but you have agency become an activist um you can act you've got a rally at the capitol building on thursday morning you can you have agency in all of this and um we don't. We don't have to argue about the politics of it or the policy of it. Um, I, you know, I we had a really difficult week trying to decide what to do on 440 Sports. Like, which shows? Sh- who wants to broadcast? And I think everyone, Jeff Cawkins, said this uh, on the Memphis uh, episode a couple of weeks ago about the the shooting of Tyre or the death of Tyree Nichols, and that everyone sort of has to process it at their own speed, and that not knowing how you feel is okay. It's okay to spend time. To process difficult topics, I'm glad that Lamestream is taking place four days later, so that I've had time to think about it. As a father of a daughter in kindergarten, um, Wes and Tim Sullivan for Club and Country did not want to broad did not want to record on Monday. They waited till Tuesday. I think I think they did a great job um, with how Nashville SC and the ownership group and the statements that they've made is, is tied to this issue to some degree, with their own personal feelings as fathers. Um, Zach and I on a football show decided we needed to go live on Monday um, and I needed to say things in that moment. I needed to get things off my chest. It 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 helped me. Uh, and some of our audience was very grateful that we gave them a distraction on Monday afternoon. I'm assuming some people thought it was maybe callous and that we shouldn't have done it. Uh, but every show has to decide for itself. Michael Gallagher and I on the gold standard spent 15 or 20 minutes talking about how the Predators are leaders in this community. Um, the Titans have, you know, are donating a hundred thousand um, dollars. Everybody kind of copes with it in their own way, and I think it's okay to not know how to feel. I think the problem, Steve, is with this particular issue. Everyone kind of has has muscle memory here that is really tragic that we all have. I don't know what to, I don't know what to say back to
1: that other than uh, I, I was I was really glad to hear um, Wes and Tim's uh, the top of their show. I thought it was really good. Uh, if you, and if you want to hear a good example of kind of two people sort of processing something, uh, in the middle of a podcast, Wes and Tim did a great job of it. And I, I, Tim's pissed off and I was, I was glad to hear pissed off Tim. It just, uh, it, 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 it encapsulated a bunch of my feelings, which is that, you know, whatever the politics of this are, um, uh, the, the 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 number of school shootings is staggering yeah. uh and i i'm i am i had a I had a great discussion with uh a friend of mine last night who's republican who uh you know owns owns some ar weapons and was talking about you know how he he didn't want to get him out of the gun he hasn't gotten him out of his gun safe since uh i think since sandy hook and a decade ago uh, yeah, and he and he said, or 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 since some since something here, maybe since Highlands, it's something something in the last you know four or five years, and we were talking through kind of what common sense reforms look like. I mean, there's not going to be a, there's not going to be a ban on assault weapons. There's not going to be a couple of things. But what what is what does that look? What does policy look like? It, it's uh, it, it is and, a
0: mind-numbingly and, stupid issue.
1: And and had a rational conversation about it. And, and, and I think there I think there is some there, there's some definitely some interesting policy that could be done if there were the will to do it. Yeah. I just I'm well, unsure that there is a
0: there is the will to do it. So I, I will present two points after you hear from both Dwayne and Sandy that, that I think could actually affects some change. And no, I'm not some like I, you know, I haven't solved the problem that no one else has been able to solve. I just I'm going to make two points and I want people to think about it. Uh and and hope and maybe that gives some people a little bit of hope a little bit later on in the show. It is sadness, it is anger, it is frustration. Um it is n- we're numb to it to some degree as well. Uh but we're going to talk about like how the audience reacts to both the Tennessee and the News Channel 5's coverage and how long we stay interested in this stuff. So really great conversations with with both of them. Let's start on the print side here, Steve, and again, we've got some opinions a little bit later on in the show that we'll share, but let's start on the print side here. Again, uh, this was our, again, Livestream Sports brought to you by Jaspers. This was our conversation with the politics and investigations editor of the Tennessean, Dwayne Gang, about how the Tennessean handled the unfolding events of Monday afternoon. Dwayne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for giving us uh, some time today. Uh, obviously, under terrible circumstances, but we do appreciate it. How are you, sir?
2: Uh, good. Good to be here.
1: So, so Dwayne, let's kind of set this. Uh, let's set this up for folks. It's a Monday morning start of the week. Uh, how did uh, you and the newsroom first learn about the shooting, and kind of how did you scramble staff to report it out throughout the day?
2: Yeah. So, like anything like this, we hear it from multiple channels. So, so police scanners, Twitter. You know, uh, dispatch uh, places like that. So we we had learned about um, a possible school shooting. So obviously, in today's day and age, that's something that we have to just take incredibly seriously, even if it turns out to be a false alarm. As in, uh, right in this case, unfortunately, it wasn't. So the first thing we're doing is finding out where we are then dispatching people to the scene while at the same time having people here in the newsroom try to confirm the basic details so we can get that basic information out to readers into the public that this is happening that there's reports of this happening um so we're then also trying to anticipate where we all need to go so we are as soon as we learned the address and the school location and there was some initial confusion about which school it was early on. So what, um, we're sending- I think multiple... the fire department had said St. Paul's, which was
1: across the street. Right. And,
2: yeah. Yeah. So we, we were sending multiple reporters to the scene. As soon as we found out where a reunification site was, we were sending another reporter there. At the same time that's going on, um, I, I said, look, you, we have to get someone over to the hospital, right? You, you, So we're dispatching a team of reporters over to the hospital. At the same time, we're trying to then- you know, start building out our real time information, trying to post regular updates. And then some of us are also thinking longer term than that at the same time, where we're trying to find a writer to help be able to pull it all together for readers. So in this particular case, it just goes to show how we were, we had other plans in place to do other things. And then we have to blow all those up when some major event like this happens. So a great example of that is. Uh, Keith Sharon is one of our veteran feature writers. He's a fantastic writer. He's written screenplays and other things like that. Um, and we were actually going to send him down uh, to Mississippi to help um, our sister paper out covering the aftermath of those deadly tornadoes there. And he had just gotten back to his house, going to pack up. And we were like, no, sorry, we need you to not go. And we need you to start pulling together kind of uh, the... The, the, the story that we would eventually have for digital and print kind of pulling the gripping tail of this tragic event together. Um, but then we're also, I think by all told, we had pretty much the whole newsroom working at some point in time on that story, on this story this week, in particular on Monday.
0: So as it's unfolding, um, there's a lot of particular details, right? Very specific things that you guys have to, like you, you want to report on them, you need to get them out. Um, you sort of almost don't know exactly what those details are going to be as it unfolds but but in this situation sadly we kind of know we're looking for the shooter we're looking for victims like we kind of know what you're what you're trying to find um the police chief even kind of misidentified the victim at first during a press conference how do you guys decide on each detail when it's appropriate to release it whether it's victims names you know whether it's the age of the shooter like what what is it that in as it's unfolding, how do you guys decide on when it's a go for a particular detail?
2: Yeah, we definitely need that type of information from some very reliable source, preferably on the record too, right? So, uh, so in terms of like the number of fatalities from law enforcement, fire department personnel, or from the school, for example, itself, that would be uh, a source of information that we would trust to be able to say, "This is how many." You know fatalities are out there. Today's day and age, I think that's even more important, um, given how much misinformation flies around on social media. Um, for example, even early on, when the name of the suspect was starting to get thrown out there on social media, there was another name being thrown out out there too that some people just were putting out there as a possibility. Um, we don't go and run with that until we have firm confirmation that. Uh, That's the case, and if that means we're not the first on something like that, that's fine. Um, Obviously, we at the Tennessee want to be first, but we also want to make sure we're right. And if we're a couple minutes behind somebody else, but we're taking that extra time to make sure it's correct, um, we're going to do that. This this case is particularly challenging because there was confusion, particularly over the suspect's gender identity, and that is something that many news organizations are struggling with exactly how. Um, to to describe. And what we've, we, the Associated Press, the New York Times, others are trying to just be transparent. This is what the police said. This is what we later learned. Um, so readers are transparent about why things unfolded in a certain way.
0: Can you kind of take us through the conversation about victims' names? Um, you know, it was later on in the afternoon when we started to learn some of those names. Like, just g- give us a sense of what like, ethically, you have to think through and I guess the same thing with the suspect at some point, because there, there could be, you know, the way you report that or when you report that or how you report that could affect people's behavior in the community. So what, what are the conversations like around actually saying like, this is who is, you know, you've, you've, you've confirmed the names, you know, who it is. Is there anything else you have to consider when it comes to those names specifically being released?
2: Yeah, so I, I, in these types of situations, we, we do want to be sensitive to family um, in particular. Uh, but uh, in this case, you know, law enforcement put out the identities of the victims. And once that happened, we also um, put out those names. And then what we then started to do is looking at ways that we can provide thoughtful information about who they were. Right. We are part of this community, too. And we want these the victims of this to be known for more than just a victim of a shooting in a school shooting. So what can we do to start telling readers about who they were as people and what they meant for this community, what they meant for their families, what they meant for their schools? So as soon as we learned of their identities. We put together a team of reporters to say you are going to profile each one of these people, right? Tell us about who they were as people. Um, So they're known for more than just a victim of a school shooting. Um, And so those we're working on those currently. Some of them have published already, and we have to have hope to have more here in the next uh, today and in the next few few days to come.
1: How do you guys approach uh, talking to family members on a day like that? Uh, and kind of like kind of balancing the sort of like the sensitivity with also the fact that they are the best source of they're the best source of knowledge for to, to profile, for instance, those kids. So they're not just yeah. they're not just viewed as victims.
2: It's a balancing act. Right. We want to be respectful. We want to be known as being you know, we want to be respectful and we want to be professional So we will ask and we will, you know, ask again. But at some point, if family says, look, right now we're not willing to talk, um, check back with us later, we are going to try to be as respectful as possible there. And we'll go and talk to friends, talk to others that knew them as opposed to directly to the family members. Um, You know, I think that's important for us because we're part of this community, too. We're not parachuting in from you know, national TV or a national media outlet or a tabloid or something like that. Um, we're a part of this community and not just us, but other local media. There's local media in this town and reporters who have connections to this school and to this church. So this hits home for a lot of people. And this hits home for a lot of us in the newsroom who are, you know, parents too. I have kids that are smack in the my kid's bookend my kids are 8 and 10, so they're right in that age group. So this is a hard story for all of us. And I think we all want to be respectful, um, but at the same time, do what we need to do to help readers and to help the community understand what the story is, the impact of it uh, uh, on, on Nashville.
0: Um, how do you, the editorialization of that at the, at some point is a is a part of this as well. I know you're the investigations and politics editor, but... How do you guys decide um, when, how, who to to let rip on on the editorialization
2: of the actual issue itself and the story itself? Well, I avoid all that opinion stuff. That's not my department. So um, that is not something I deal with. And I avoid uh, answering questions about the opinion side of the paper. That's David Plaza. He handles that. Um, So I actually have no involvement in how we decide whether to weigh in on an editorial or on an opinion. Piece or what uh, opinion pieces we take from outside groups to weigh in on this issue? Well, then this will be a, this will be a tricky question then.
0: Because um, <laughs> I'd like to know as from a reporting standpoint, but also as a father. Um, at, at what point do we think showing the photos or accessing the photos or distributing the photos in some way, using the the internet stickiness and clickiness and our obsession with visuals at at what point is that going to be a part of the editorial process and the reporting process on these issues an issue that we all have very strong feelings about i'm not asking you to go into politics here but i want to know what like are we ever going to show the photos of this stuff so that it can actually impact some change or is that just something that's never going to be a possibility
2: i so let's just take the body cam footage as an example um so the police released selected body cam footage and it's hard to watch right um and we before rushing to post that i know they posted on youtube but before rushing to post that we as a team of editors reviewed that video made determination about do we publish it on our site Uh, and if so do we take in into account any editing that we would like to do to it to make it less graphic, but still not necessarily sugarcoat what went on. Um, do we need to put a warning label on it for readers? Um, things like that. So definitely a conversation that we have before rushing just to throw a video out there or a photo. I think the photos, if there's if like detailed graphic photos of, the scene eventually become public. I think that's a tough one. That's a hard conversation to have. I think if they're extremely graphic, we probably would not um, uh, run them. I think there is, but images are powerful. Um, and I think that I'm assuming you all saw this, but Nicole Hester's photo. That was uh, what I was
1: going to ask about, yeah.
2: that is That is a powerful image, right? So it is a powerful image conveying the world we live in right now. And it does, it's, not, it's not graphic per se, right? But it is probably more powerful in many respects. Um, and that photo ran on dozens of front pages of newspapers across the country. Um, I pulled, I mean, probably two, three dozen. Um, it's a really powerful image that kind of sums up what a lot of people are feeling right now about this story.
0: Do you think there's a, an editor somewhere in this country that gets their hands on one of those photos and says uh, with com- with approval from the family that that this could actually change the way we view the issue? I mean, the, the photos, photojournalism has changed wars. I mean, it's it. This is this is not some new concept. Possibly. Right. Fair enough. Um, how do you split? um
1: because because you're you're printing as uh, you're you're printing information as immediately as you possibly can uh, to the web. But you also have a print audience. How are you at what point do you kind of say, okay, we have to do, we have to package this for tomorrow for those readers in addition to kind of what we're doing. You know you guys switched to six p m deadlines here uh, a couple of years ago. So that is <laughs> that doesn't really help you kind of in that respect how do you how do you kind of like fork the you know fork the coverage at some point and 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 who do you, how do you have to deploy people in order to do it
2: so let me give monday's a great example of what we did on that front so while a whole team of reporters was regularly updating our real time story with details from news conferences details from uh, interviews that we're getting out at the scene we had Keith Sharon take a step back and say, "Start pulling everything together that we know now into a narrative about what happened on Monday, and do that. Uh, don't worry. Don't worry about real time publishing every new graph that you're posting. Write us that powerful story, and yes, do it by a certain time to make a print deadline, right? Um, and then we're already then." Thinking about, okay, what can we then do both for digital later in the week, of course, but then Sunday print already starting Tuesday morning, thinking about, okay, what can we do? How can we tell a story? What do we need to tell readers? What can we bring to the table for Sunday print audience, which is still very important for us, um, but also a story that will play well on digitally. So yes, we're thinking ahead at the same time. Um, so, we, so we're so we able to carve out ways to accomplish both. So that great Sunday narrative or a great print narrative is also going to be good for our digital audience as well. Um, and so we recognize that it's probably not feasible and not fair to a, other team of reporters to expect them to do both. Um, so that's why we took and carved Keith out in order for him to be able to take a step back gather everything that's coming in and craft that into a story for print 15 20 years ago it would be one reporter doing it just doing once one version of that for like you know for print
1: give give people a sense too of as you're hurdling for that that sunday paper which is very important uh kind of when when you have to have that kind of lockdown and and when you're going to you know when you're going to ship that off
2: yeah. So that's the story that we'll need to have. We'll probably have ready and locked down by Friday afternoon, early Friday afternoon to make sure it's all done. Yeah.
0: Um, we, we, you know, every company in the media is, is driven by metrics. We study audience engagement, um, yeah. social media engagement. Um, we all, we all have looked at, at back end traffic on websites. I am curious in, you've been over, over a decade, right? In this role. Um, there's certainly been some some issues, maybe not as close to this, but have been some issues in our market. There's also yeah. shootings that are large across the country that that are covered by uh, your network, sort of across the country. Do you guys have any sense, or do you have any sense of the public's sort of uh, interest in the stories and the tale that it has? Like, are we getting more interested in in these stories as a community? Are we getting more numb and less interested? Basically how long does the cycle last with increased interest from a community before tragic, you know, sadly, we all kind of go back to normal. Um, do you have a sense of that from like an actual metric standpoint?
2: Yeah, there's incredible, or particularly early in the first few days of a story like this, there's incredible audience interest. And you can see that in our metrics, um, and all the tools that we have to measure those. Um, and the interest this week has been strong all week long. Um, In past stories, like, say, the Waffle House shooting, um, the Burnett Burnett church uh, church shooting, um, the Christmas Day bombing, for example, also very intense interest in the first few days. And then, yes, you do start to see interest wane a little bit over as the weeks and days and weeks lead on. Um, I think that's kind of natural. There's not as much information flowing. There's not as much new information um, that's coming out. But we still, though, know that we can't just stop reporting on a story like this the minute we see analytics change, right? This is a story that we'll continue to report on three months from now, six months from now, a year from now. And we've done that consistently with a bunch of big stories that have hit this community. I mean, Nashville's been hit hard, right? It seems like we can't catch a break. You know, we had, you know, the, the the church shooting, I think that was 2017, 2018. Um, yeah, I think it was 2017. 2017. Uh, the following year was Waffle House. I was the Sunday editor on duty that did the day that that story broke. Um, and then, of course, we had, uh, you know, the tornado. Tornado. And yeah. then COVID. And then obviously not Nashville specifically, but in Tennessee, the Waverly Floods. You know devastating and then the christmas well christmas bombing then uh the floods out in waverly the following following year you know but nashville specifically it seems like there's definitely times where we haven't caught a break but we we continue to report on like you know like aspects of the waffle house shooting even to this day we still go and circle back with people involved in that case and we're still reporting on like for example it, the the suspect's father got convicted of gun charges in Illinois. We made sure that we still brought that to readers. Um, even though there might be less interest in that based upon our analytics it's still something that we feel is important that we need to be covering.
0: It, but have you noticed any difference though in terms of time like I, I'm just curious how we as a public have like are we, are we more interested in following all the tentacles as a public and as a society? I guess that's what I'm asking. Is there any difference in that tale, that that interest level from, let's say, 2012 to 2017 to 2023? Have you noticed anything or has any other editor in any other market noticed anything about sort of our general interest in school shootings in particular?
2: I think the interest is still there, particularly because people are still interested in knowing why. Why does it keep happening and what is being done about it, and why things aren't being able to. So why is it still happening? I yeah. still think there is there's a lot of questions and a lot of avenues to explore. And I think readers and the public are demanding those answers still. I don't think that has just gone away, um, because I mean I think there's a natural tendency to be like numb to it, right? And I think we as journalists can kind of fall into that trap a little because we're so used to covering these types of things day in and day out across the country. Um, But I I think from this story in particular, you can see that there's strong interest in people wanting to know why and what's going to be done. And then being fired up when they hear people saying, nothing can be done about it, or we want to do this instead, or whatever the case might be.
1: Dwayne, we really appreciate you making a lot of time for us. Thanks.
2: Yep. Happy to be here.
0: That was Dwayne Gang, politics and investigations editor for the Tennessean. Um, I, listen, the, the Tennessean in print, and we'll talk about this with Sandy coming up. As in terms of TV, it's a very different. It's a very different strategy on what you're going to do, and you know, having to pull somebody aside to sort of create the entire narrative of what's going on while also investigating all the details is interesting. Of course, they stay out of the opinion side of things, but I, I find it very interesting, Steve. And Sandy will talk about this a little bit too um that that like it's almost impossible to separate the human being from the reporter in this type of situation like it's just i, I don't know I, that's got to be one of the hardest things to do as a reporter is to to try to write just the facts when this is your neighborhood your city your community your families in in your area i i don't i don't know how they do that so i i i think that
1: at a time uh, you know at a time like this and when, with a story like this it's even more important to try to do that because people, uh, people's emotions are so raw about the story that, you know, that leaning, I think you lean even harder into, you know, these are what the facts of the situation are, as opposed to this is what I'm seeing. I, I, to be quite honest, I, I don't want to go on a voyage of discovery with any reporter about their feelings about the situation of the thing that they're covering. I I just, I I really appreciate it when they do their job.
0: No. And And, and and I I say that with, with like, like not necessarily awe, but you know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm on the air talking for a living. I, I can rarely remove my human emotions from what I, what I'm doing. And it's just, I, it's very difficult for me to do personally. So I have a lot of respect for those that do it. And we really appreciate Dwayne for, for coming on. We uh, obviously lamestream sports brought to you by Jaspers. Um, So let's transition now to the visual medium and how it's covered. Obviously TV has very different decisions. They have to make a lot of them are similar um, to what the Tennessean has to do here, Steve, but, but Sandy Boonstra, of course, news channel five news director has a very different sort of job description on the day that it's happening. And then as it unfolds throughout the course of the week Um, and uh, we asked her about when and what they should show on television, uh, what it's like to be live on air for eight straight hours when this is unfolding. Again, uh, reporters doing their job around people in their community. So a lot of good stuff from Sandy here. Um, Here was our conversation with the News Channel 5 News Director, Sandy Boonstra. Sandy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time this week. We do appreciate it.
3: Sure. No problem. Thank you for having me.
0: So Sandy, uh, let's kind of set this up. Uh it's a
1: Monday morning uh and the news kind of comes in. How did the newsroom uh first learn about the shooting? And then how do you begin to scramble people in order to in, in order to kind of staff that and then get on air with it?
3: Uh yeah, it happened. I mean, when we found out about it, it was shortly before eleven. Um And it started as a call of an aggressor at a school, which can mean so many things. Um, You know, my first thought was it was probably somebody who got into a fight. There was some sort of fight that got out of hand, you know, and I didn't think that it would ever obviously um, become what it actually was. But you start sending crews as you learn more and realize that this is a lot more than just a school fight and there's actually somebody there with a gun, then you just, for us, we just start deploying everybody. Everybody goes. Um, you can always pull crews back, but on something of that scale and and, and seemingly as serious as this sounded, um, we just started sending everybody. And then to the point where we realized that there really was a school shooter and that there is the possibility that there are people injured you know obviously at first you don't hear anything about fatalities you just hear about the injuries Um, and then we you know made the decision to break in we have local programming at 11 so we were only breaking into our own programming talk of the town at that time but obviously as things unfolded uh, and we realized that there were deaths um, then that's when we made you know you make the decision that we have to stay on as long as we have to stay on in order to make sure that we are just continuing to update everybody. Because, as everybody knows by now, their new information just kept coming every hour.
1: Give people a give people a sense too of kind of like on the on the technology side when when you deploy your staff to go live, you don't have to have a truck there for, for somebody to be, to, to be going live anymore? Uh, what, what does it mean to, to send somebody out in the, send somebody out to cover something and like how many, how many people can you have out there that have the capability of going live?
3: Um, we can have several, um, but you're right. We have, um, More mobility than we used to in the old days where you had to send out a big, you know, microwave truck and set up and you had to have an engineer and a photographer and you had to all these people to get one live shot um, back and up um, to viewers. Now we have these cellular backpacks which makes people very mobile and easier to get in different positions and a lot more freedom. Um, they're, they're not tethered to a truck and that sort of thing. Um, so we have several um, of these different cellular backpack units. We also have other vehicles like our Storm 5 Titan that we use for weather coverage. That also is a easier and more mobile um, live unit that we can take. We have another vehicle called that we call Live Drive. Again, the same sort of thing. So we have several different means of how to get live signals up and out.
1: Well, and and not to and and you guys have the only helicopter kind of in the market.
3: The helicopter is a huge differentiator for us in terms of any sort of coverage. I mean, unfortunately, we used it again this morning for another tragic, you know, news story unfolding where these two helicopters have crashed and you know there's nine fatalities and we were up this morning with the helicopter and even though there was um a restricted airspace around the actual crash you know we saw the procession of the emergency vehicles leaving the Katy's Kentucky area going back and it was just a really somber and sad you know image to see that but the helicopter yes is another way and another tool that we have that nobody else does that we can provide perspective and and more live images to viewers so that they can kind of get an overall look at what's happening because with the covenant school shooting obviously nobody was allowed near that school understandably it's a crime scene um and just to give you the perspective though for people who aren't familiar with green hills it was really helpful because you could see, okay, I see where this school is. I see where the street is. I see where, you know, Hillsborough road is and all that, you know, retail and and residential, you know, along the way, it's just good for that sort of thing.
0: Uh, As it's unfolding throughout the course of the day, you mentioned all the details that continue to kind of come out. How how do you guys um, process all of that? Even the police chief kind of, you know, mislabeled a detail in his press conference. Um, you've got names of people, you've got types of injuries, you've got details about the suspect, you've got all this different stuff that sort of unfolds over the course of hours. How, how do you guys decide when a detail is, it's right, it's, it's okay to go with this, it's, it's smart to go with this, it's beneficial, it adds to the story. How, how do you guys process that?
3: I mean, we're very cautious about reporting anything, especially when the facts are kind of, you know, the facts are, I should say, the information is coming fast and furious because you don't know what's confirmed. So we're, I think, a little more conservative when it comes to that because we don't want to give out false information and then have to come back and correct it. If it comes out of the police chief's mouth or or an official of that type, you know, we will go with it because we are under the assumption that this is... Accurate information, but like you said, sometimes even then you have to go back. I mean, like when they were initially identifying the shooter, you know, they said teenager. Well, that was not true um, that we found out, but um, yeah, I mean, we wait to, you know, we have it confirmed um, either with official sources or we have, you know, enough sources within our own kind of community, if you will. We had a reporter here who has a personal tie to the school who was able to get a lot of information that maybe other news sources couldn't because um, of that relationship that she had
1: I'm I'm really interested in uh on a day like this you're trying to humanize the story uh and you're trying to tell uh, you're trying to tell about these kids and the staff not necessarily as victims you um you know we talked to the we talked to the Tennessean they were talking about of uh building out profiles of these folks how do you uh how do you approach uh family and kind of family and friends in in, in this situation to try to get those details and how um are, how much of that are you doing kind of like on camera off camera uh on a pretty sensitive day like this
3: yeah i mean we do want to you know, tell people about the victims, because that's, I mean, honestly, that's the most important thing we can do. Um, As soon as you start getting, you know, names of people, you you put those out. If you're able to get a picture, again, I mean, we have some families who have not wanted to have a picture used. um, And we're respectful of that. I mean, when it comes time to you know, unfortunately have the funerals. Um, some people are going to be open to the media there and and, and many are not. And you obviously, you respect that. Um, we're not going to go knocking at somebody's house or anything like that. We try to talk about the victims through people who reach out to us, honestly, and say, I was a student, you know, at the school or, uh, you know, I, I know one of the victims um, and they have such a great story to tell. And I would love to, you know, to tell that story and to tell their story. So it's a fine line. We wanna be respectful. Um, This is a a horrible time and we do not want to be someplace that we know that we shouldn't be and that we may not be wanted. So you have to do the best you can to find people who um, want to talk about the victims, so that you can tell their story so that you can talk about, you know, what they loved and what their passions were. And that, you know, these were people who were just living normal lives earlier that morning. And now it's gone.
0: Do you think a traditional media outlet will ever be able to make a decision on posting some of the the more graphic photos to actually impact change? I mean, visually we see this in domestic abuse all the time where the story is written up. You read all the details you don't really need anymore to know what happened, but when the photo or the video comes out, it changes public perception very quickly. On 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 issues like that, I I personally am a father of two daughters, uh, one in kindergarten. Um, I don't know what I would do if I had a photo like that. I, I'm just curious what kind of impact and what type of decision making would be around. What type of what kind of what, could it actually change anything if 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 there is some really graphic stuff and and could any traditional news outlet actually run with anything like that?
3: I mean, when we get that kind of video or those kind of images, we have to really make tough calls as to how much do we show, Um, and we do that every time we get, um, you know, specifically body cam video, um, you know, police cameras, surveillance, and we have to take a look at it kind of in its entirety in, in terms of who's going to be viewing this video. We can't always assume that this is for the people who they want to see this video, and you know they're they're all adults and and they can you know look at this and and process it in a in a in a way that an adult can. We have to remember that sometimes there's children in front of the TV and things like that, and so we typically will be more conservative in what we show. We'll still give a warning. Um, we're not going to show people you know being killed um, in in the video. Um, things like that. I mean, there are sometimes when mothers, I I remember with Tyree Nichols, and when that police, you know, camera footage came out, the body cam footage, I mean, she wanted all of it to be shown because she wanted the world to see what happened to her child. And I, I totally get that as a mother. I get that. I get her anger and her outrage and wanting to, you know, make a difference and have that shown. But we have to remember that, while she may want that, we have to be respectful of, and you know what we're doing and who is going to see that video. So we would take something like that potentially and post the whole thing online where you're making a choice to go view it. You can read the warning, but when you click on that, you're taking action to see it. Where sometimes if you're just sitting in front of the TV and it comes on, you, you didn't have time to react. So we try to be respectful of that and put... That kind of video on a platform where people are more making a choice about wanting to see that video.
0: So we talked a lot about this uh, on an episode about the Demar Hamlin uh, situation, which was a Monday Night Football player who had a had a really terrifying in- injury, and and their sort of four hour broadcast where they have to continually reset, try to add new information, but you can't really be more than you know three to five minutes away from the main story. You're gonna. My wife got home around you know twelve thirty one o'clock from the office, had it on had it on your station and never left the living room and had it on. And, you know, I walk in and out and I see the same story over and over again. I'm not your traditional viewer because I'm I've got the TV on the entire time. Um, Can you kind of explain to people how you balance trying to inject some editorial, injecting new new details, but also having to go back and make sure you're resetting as 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 often as possible so, so that the new audience kind of understands what's going on?
3: Um, Yeah, you're right, Brayden. I mean, it's totally a balance because like you said, it can start to feel repetitive to somebody who's watching for the entire coverage. I mean, we were on the air for eight hours straight um, when the shooting happened. Excuse me. Um, But again, not everybody is watching from beginning to end. And so if somebody is just jumping in at a particular time. Um, you might want to take those opportunities at the top or bottom of an hour where maybe somebody is about ready to tune into something that they typically would watch at that time to kind of reset what we're doing and what we're talking about. Um, again, not to be too repetitive. Um, but at the same time, you do have to kind of reset the table so that people know who are just tuning in. So this, it's just a balance of trying to make sure that, um, you know, you're doing both.
0: When did you uh, guys um, What? W- quickly, when did you guys allow for some e- opinion? Did that, has that happened much at all in terms of actually bringing someone in to editorialize the entire thing?
3: I mean, we really haven't had anybody in that I would call to editorialize the entire thing. I mean, to, to start to get into, you know, maybe, I mean, today obviously we're going to go you know, into the politics of it a little bit because there's a giant rally at the Capitol this morning, but, you know, the first two days of a of an incident like this and a tragedy, to me, is it's too soon. Um, we're not going to do that. We're going to continue to talk about the victims and tell their story, talk about how the community is helping. When people see a tragic story like this, you just feel so helpless. And yet, at the same time, you want to help. So... You know, as members of the community ourselves, I mean, all of our anchors, everybody, they've been in this community a really long time. They know the school. They have connections to the school. They know the community. This has hit them as well because they care because this is their city. So, I mean, those first few days, you're just trying to help people cope. You're trying to tell the victim story. You're trying to give people ways to help. Um, so to me, any sort of editorializing or making any you know any of this a political gesture would be inappropriate Now, today, there's a big news story, and we're gonna cover it because parents and children and teachers are they've had enough
1: I'm interested in uh, on 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 the Monday coverage you guys had you deployed uh, Carrie sharp out there. Who's one of your normal, who's one of your normal evening anchors. um, Who's, who's very good in these situations. Uh, And she was quite emotional at times. uh, uh, Talking about certain aspects of the coverage. What kinds of discussions do you guys have about sort of kind of where that line is about showing emotion on air and kind of in a, in a, in a tragic story like this and people who come to you that you want them that you want to empathize with a, with a, with a viewer, but at the same time, you know, you're there as the information provider. So you also want to, you're, you're also the deliverer of facts and kind of like, how do you, how do you find where those lines are?
3: I mean, I can tell you that, um, someone like Carrie and, and really, you know, all of our anchors, like I said, have been in this community a long time. Um, this is their home too. And so it hits them as well. When Carrie is out there talking about what happened and talking about the children specifically as the mother of two young boys, she feels this just like we all do. And I'm not, you know, I don't want people to think that, you know, she's been coached into exactly how to sound and, you know, to, you know, as you see, you know, when the media is portrayed and, you know, in movies and things like that, it's, it's all very jaded and calculated and you know, that's just, that's not the way it is. Um, that's not the way it is here. Um, everything that she said was authentic and she's a professional. She knows how to give the news. She knows how to give these updates. And if she feels any kind of emotion while she's doing that, I mean, for one thing, like I said, she's she's being our, her authentic self, but it also, you know, just makes her, honestly, more relatable because she has kids. you know, she's a mom. She's out there at a school where children were killed. She has to send her kids to school too. So <clears throat> excuse me I don't I don't coach them into that. They are professionals. They've been doing this a long time. And uh, like I said, they know how to give the information. They know how to give the updates, but at the same time, they are empathetic and they are compassionate because that is exactly the, the way that they should be out there
0: and uh, unfortunately and sadly we all have a lot of muscle memory when it comes to to sort of coping with this particular issue in this particular story uh, it's terrible that I have boilerplate information for sports talk radio over this issue it's just it's it's terrible um, which leads me to a question about interest about over time I'm curious if we if you see any we all study metrics on the back end uh, every media company does I, I'm just curious, if if you've seen a change in how long the interest tail is in, in shootings in particular or tragic incidents like have we are, are are people more interested for longer because the issue is is becoming so it's it's now it's so so much closer to home. Are people are people less interested for long like for a shorter period of time because we're numb to it. I'm just curious. Um, in, in terms of audience interest, how long that lasts after the incident and if it's changed over time?
3: Now, that's a really good question. Um, I feel unfortunately that because these shootings happen so often, um, they don't have the impact that they used to because it, like we've said, okay, it finally happened here. And I don't mean finally, as we were just waiting for it, but you knew eventually one day we would be dealing with a school shooting. I mean, we've covered a lot of tragedies and a lot of mass shootings. I mean, in the 30 plus years that I've worked here, I've seen a lot. Um, And this is really the first big school shooting in Nashville. But when you look across the country, we're unfortunately one of several. And so how long people are interested I mean, obviously, everyone in Nashville is going to be interested in this for a long time, but you're right. We kind of you know, look at each other and go, when is it too soon to start bringing back in other news? Well, guess what? Today, we're bringing back other news because, unfortunately, we had another horrific event. And nine people are dead. Nine soldiers are dead this morning because of this helicopter crash. And so sometimes just the news of the day will dictate how long you continued, you know, to do the coverage on the story that you didn't think anything could top. Um, the story of the school shooting obviously is going to be forefront in our newscast all day today, all day tomorrow. Um, we also have severe weather in the forecast. I don't know what that means right now, um, but it you know, it just never stops, honestly. So while it's still really important and every development that comes from this story is really important, there's going to be other things that happen that we will need to report as well, because people want to know everything that's going on.
1: Uh, Sandy, I think it's, I think one of the, it's, it's too easy to criticize uh, TV for, uh, for long stretches of live broadcast because it it is (laughs) live broadcast is so hard to do. Uh, Can you give people sort of an, an idea of, of just how hard it is to stay on air and stay fresh for hours at a time. And kind of the things that the kind of things that you fight against, particularly when you have details that are not, uh, that are dribbling out. And, and so you're having to kind of, you're having to kind of tell a story again and again and again, how do you, how do you keep multiple hours uh, fresh for viewers and, 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 you know, make it, make it, interesting for people that are going to tune into you for a long stretch of time.
3: Uh, Yeah, Steve, you're right. I mean, live broadcasting going wall to wall for hours and hours at a time is, is really hard Um, because again, the information isn't coming as quickly. The updates aren't coming as quickly. Um, And so there are big gaps of time where you honestly don't have any new information. So you find yourself repeating A lot of what you've already said which again can be repetitive if you've been watching for long stretches of time but you don't want to what you don't want to do is you know jump back and go to regular program and then you get a new update and you jump back in yeah that's honestly too disruptive and more disruptive and and viewers don't like that either um so while i understand it can be a little hard to watch sometimes we're not getting any new information I mean, what we try to do is to bring in as many people as we can to give fresh voices and new perspective to the story. Um, Again, we had a reporter who had a mother-in-law that worked at the school. She was there that morning. We made sure that, you know, she was on the set. She was available to talk about the school, to talk about the fact that a year ago, she actually went through active shooter training with her mother-in-law at that school. I mean, that's just a crazy story. And and wow, okay, so she had a really unique perspective. So to kind of bring in other people, get reporters out on the scene, talk about what you're seeing, um, that can help, you know, keep the information fresh and not feel so repetitive while we may be waiting for that first news conference to confirm what happened. Um, so we just try to bring in other people, other voices, other reporters you know, sometimes you see people on the phone, you know, you have phoners with different people who may be in the area who, again, who can give perspective as to what they're, what they saw. Um, But that's really what we try to do to kind of, you know, build up our coverage so that um, we can stay on the air and continue to look fresh and to give new information and perspective for over hours at a time.
0: Can you tell when an an, an on-air talent anchor reporter is just like, like it's been two hours. Do you give them blocks and then say, look, you got these two hours, we're going to do two hours. Can you tell when someone's just emotionally spent on especially a topic like this? And you're like, we just we just got to give somebody a break. Can you tell?
3: Yeah, well, honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I was here. Um, I immediately started calling in other people and other anchors who had actually, you know, been in the morning show and been up all night. But I said, look, I need you to come back in. Um, because I know that the anchors on the set are going to need support. And so at one point I went out and I talked to, you know, our anchors on the set and I said, how are you doing? Do you need some relief? Can I bring in so-and-so and you can take a break? I mean, cause again, they've been on the hour straight talking for, you know, right? on the air talking for hours. So yeah, I, I make sure I check in again, give them support, let them take a break, um, go get a drink of water, you know, ask them, you want to go back on, are you okay? Okay, let's, let's do this.
1: Um. At the, at the mean at the same time, you've got a staff of kind of non on uh, you know non uh, on air talent um, working stories. You guys had a dynamite story about the um, about an Instagram message. I think you I'm pretty sure you guys broke it about uh, a friend uh, messaging uh, getting getting a message from the shooter uh, just minutes before they went into the school. Um, how do you, how do you begin to incorporate when you've got stuff like that? How do you begin to incorporate that back into the newscast? Obviously you're, you're, you're racing to kind of publish that digitally as well. Where, how do you, how do you make it all kind of work together on air?
3: Um, I mean, the first day honestly is just a lot of, you know, chasing what's happening. It's, it's just trying to keep up with, um, You know we're all kind of in a state of shock and just trying to make sure that we get all the information out as to what happened the second day is when you don't really take a breath but at the same time it isn't as active we know what's happened um and now you're trying to look for again any sort of angles what do we know about the shooter what do we know about the victims um and that one particular yeah story um one of our reporters received a tip on that and we reached out and they were willing to talk about it. Um, So yeah, as, as the week goes on and, you know, the days go on, you continue to get those kind of tips and different things like that. So it just, it becomes, you know, a part of the perspective. Um, Like I said, usually that's a day after kind of thing where you start seeing and hearing more about that. But as we're assigning people that first day, everybody's kind of given a different role. At one point, you just send everybody out and you really don't know who's going to be where. Just everybody go. And as the day starts to kind of define itself, you assign somebody, look, as soon as we get the name of the shooter, you find out everything you can about them. So, you know, we have an investigates team. They're really, really good at that stuff. So we basically use all of our resources into this one big story and divide it up and see what we can find.
0: I mean did you ever think you'd be confirming trying to confirm screenshots and direct messages like I don't even know how you, <laughs> you go about to even verify that stuff like I mean again obviously there's a source and there's a connection and there's a conversation you have to build the trust but like just thinking about con- running a a screen grab of a direct message and understanding with with AI and all the other stuff that's going on technology like that is that that sounds terrifying to me to try to verify that
3: No you're absolutely right and it is and it's getting harder every day every day, because you're right with AI and all the different other ways that, you know, information can come to us. And is it real? Is this authentic? Uh, I mean, it's become harder and harder to do our job. Absolutely. That's why we have to be honestly just, I mean, sometimes it's all about being first. And sometimes it's like, "Mm, I'd rather be right and and be last than be first and be wrong. So I'd rather hold off and, and be a little conservative until we can confirm it.
0: Well, uh, Sandy, thank you so much for your time. Obviously, you got a big, big uh, weekend ahead, so we do appreciate your time. Thank you for for giving it to us this this uh, this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you.
3: Thank you. You're welcome.
0: That was Sandy Boonstra, News Channel Five News Director. Of course, appreciate your time here on LameStream Sports. Brought to you by Jaspers. Uh, I, man, I don't. We talked about this a lot with the Damar Hamlin situation, where just you have to reset every five seconds. Um, I've got one really, you know, we've talked about it before. Also, I've got one question I have to ask you a little bit later on here, but just Sandy's job to keep so many people on the air for so long is I don't think people understand like the, 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 exhaustion level at the end of that night for some of those reporters and anchors and direct news directors and camera people. Uh, it is, it is exhausting to do that kind of work
1: uh here's my bias uh news channel five is uh news channel five is a banners partner and so uh, i i already had a lot of respect for uh for the work that they did that's one of the reasons why we why we wanted to partner with channel five um i like a bunch of their reporters uh i think the work that uh sandy and michelle who's our number two and kind of the the folks that the folks that uh that that run that newsroom uh, they do they do a very good job uh on a day-to-day basis uh and it was it was interesting to kind of watch them in action on on monday and tuesday as you had this just kind of just torrent of coverage um but they're very very good at it and sandy's really good at her job um i don't I don't envy them um, being on air for that long. I mean, that, that's yeah. just, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's really, really hard to do and, and not, uh, and not kind of repeat yourself over and over. And, you know, this is true of any, uh, this is true of any sort of uh, big breaking story. But like, I think about like the tornado coverage here from three years ago, um, you know, you had, it was such a much more visual medium, I mean, a much more visible, visual story right, right. in that you had these kind of scenes of destruction um, kind of all across the city. And then and then, you know, at points east from the city that you could that you could go to in order to kind of uh, in order to kind of give relief from it, even when you didn't necessarily have have new details you essentially had the same set of visuals and the same details all day long. Right. And they are just sort of dribbling out coverage, uh, and dribbling out new pieces of this as it happened, you know, the, the, everybody sort of found out mo- most reporters found out about the shooters home and, and address, uh, at about, you know, about two in the afternoon, bunch of us go rushing over there. Uh, and, it was funny i was standing next to jason lamb who was who's there for channel five and they had brought <laughs> they they had brought sky five over it's such and it's such a it's such an asset in kind of yeah. in kind of yeah. a situation like that and they they brought sky five over and uh to be able to show kind of fresh uh, a fresh visual but meanwhile like Jason was going live on face on their Facebook page with a kind of a live feed of, of ATF and FBI agents going in and out of the house and carrying stuff out to, uh, to trucks. Uh, it, it's, it's, it, it's, the way sort of like the medium has changed so that, so yeah. that they can deploy all of these reporters into all these different places and be able to get live feeds when you, you know, used to be that you had a couple of trucks and you had to go post up someplace. And and they it the the they did a lot with very little for a long for long yeah, stretches yeah. of time on Monday.
0: So I wanna you know, we don't do a lot of we do editorializing on media. We don't do a lot of editorializing on politics, but I do wanna I, I wanna offer one one question that we've had before on the show that I think could make a difference, and then I wanna we'll leave on a on on some I'm gonna try to force some semblance of hope at the end of the show. Okay. So let's just let me ask you this, because I've asked you before, and I have now as a father of a daughter in a school for the first time, and I'll have two in school next year, and there's a lot of cynical things that have gone through my head this week. Um, very cynical things. Um, things like the statistical probability of it happening at my child's school now. You know how cynical that is? You know how terrible a thought that is to go through your head? But it's i It's not a non-zero number. But I but I know the parents around me feel the same way when you bring it up. And 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 so that's a extremely cynical thing to think. But that's where we are. So I we there is no this has this is a problem you mentioned it earlier. This is a problem that every other country in the world has solved immediately when it presents itself to them. Whether it's you know the United Kingdom in the nineties, whether it's Australia in the nineties, whether it's Christchurch in New Zealand. This the the mind-numbingly stupid stupid part of this is that it is so it's such a fixable problem with our country's most important asset, and it will not change because we are calcified in in our politics on this. And the the thing that I think will shake us of that, the only thing I think that will shake us of that, because if fucking twenty seven elementary schoolers dying in Sandy Hook or whatever the number was, I don't even remember now. If that's not the thing that's going to do it, something has to do it. Obviously, traditional media is not going to do this. News Channel 5, Tennessee is not going to do this. Maybe it comes down to a parent, but showing the photos of the victims of a nine-year-old child with their head blown off will change people's opinions of this. And I don't know if there's anything else that would be more powerful, I don't know if anything's gonna change this, Steve. I don't know. And I I know you're a always look at the pictures guy, right? Whether it's war or disaster or tragedy. You're as an editor, it's look at the pictures. And I agree with you. I've watched all the footage of all the the police brutality stuff. Like I watched the footage. I, I don't think anything's gonna change until we see a photo of a victim of a child and what the bullets and what this machine gun does to children in our country. I don't think it's gonna change.
1: There was a really there's a really great piece and i I and I put uh, I put this on my socials uh on on Monday. The Washington Post had um an analysis of kind of like what and it was a it was a it was a three d graphic that they' had built uh, an analysis of kind of how an AR round uh, affects the body versus how like a nine millimeter round affects the body. and it, I mean, AR, I mean the, the the classic uh military assault rifle is an impressive invention. It is a it, it is it was it was built to it was built to kill things and it is it is incredibly efficient at its job. And uh I, I was uh, I was just struck by looking at it, just how the, how it did that and kind of wondering about why we have these weapons.
0: It, it showed, and, by the way, it shows a victim from Sandy hook in that piece. Who's like a five freaking five-year-old or six-year-old. And then it shows one of the victims from Parkland. Who's like a 15 year old. Right. Who I think was shot 13 times.
1: Yeah. And, and they, and they showed it. they showed, I mean, these are 3d animations uh, showing exactly kind of like how the bullets um, go through, right, you know, go through the, the bodies of these victims. Uh, and I think it's important to, you know, it's important to understand how these things happen. I, I don't I don't think that I, I, I don't think that showing the the images of these things is nece- is necessarily good just for just for showing sake. Uh, it is good to help us understand, exactly how it happens now honestly i don't think in the current climate that a media organization is going to do that because uh i think that they fear uh they fear some sort of retribution uh, in terms of access to public records legislation uh, yeah and, le- and legislation yeah you know, we saw this first happen a- as a backlash to the Earnhart. um Death and, and and Florida closing off uh, closing off access to those records. Um you know, there's a bill currently in this the Tennessee legislature that would close off access to um, the uh, close off access to certain uh, photos in the wake of Naomi Judds suicide. And the the problem is that there are bad actors out there who will, who yep. will gratuitously post something simply simply for the shock value of it the, the The problem is is that when you when you cut off that access, you then also cut off oversight of the yep. Yep. Uh, of the of the people who are responsible for that information and and that's a that's a danger in and of itself
0: now my wife and talked my wife and I've talk, wife and I have talked about this. I think it'll take a parent. I think it'll take a parent of a victim. It'd be say, something
1: sim- be something similar to Tyree Nichols' mom saying that, yes. that they wanted the the video yes. shown.
0: And and it's easy. This is so easy for her and I to say with our two daughters safely sleeping upstairs. It's so easy to say it, but if this were to happen to our family, and a photo of my daughter could save tens, hundreds of lives in the future, again, I know it's easy to say, but I I I try to put myself in that situation and say. Enough is enough. Like we we've got to figure something. Like we 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 are in this like zombie like mode on this particular issue for a lot of very specific reasons. Um, and i and and this will okay. This will lead us into the last comment here. Try to give some people some hope here. And this is one of the things that that my wife and I talk about a lot with this issue, Steve. And I don't know. I hope you agree. We'll we'll see. When it comes to political activism of young people, the two issues that are the most important to anyone under the age of 18, who will be voting in elections in the next 15 to 20 years, who will be in charge of our country in the next 20 to 30 years. The number one and two issues to those young people are gun control school school shootings and climate change. Those are the two issues that are most important to young people. And my hope is that With a new collection of electorate, with a new collection of young people that have grown up for 25 years going through school shooting training, that they will come out of school and wake us all up and change things. That is my only hope on this. And I think I do believe in it. I think it will happen. It may not happen right away. It may be 20 years down the road. It may be 15 years down the road. But I do believe that the young children of this country who we have put through this shit on purpose will come out of it and make decisions that will make us all better. It is not going to be. We have failed them. My generation has failed them. The generation before me has failed them. We have all failed them. They are going to be the ones that stop it. That is my hope. That is my only. That's the only thing I can think of that um, truly could affect some change because they will be the ones voting and controlling elections in the next 15 or 20 years. So I don't know what you think about that.
1: But you're you're a more optimistic man than I am. I'll just say that (laughs) I, I I just, I, I I don't, I don't, and this is, this is my frustration here. This is my frustration here. uh, Sitting in the middle of watching this happen in my hometown is that I don't, I, I, I can see the inertia already kicking in. I, I can already sort of see the, the, the roadblocks to any sort of sure, uh, sure. Uh, to to any sort of change already kind of grinding in. Um, they're in my you know they're in my mentions right now.
0: One thing is uh, for sure though about old people only there's only one guarantee about old people they will die, um, and young people will take their place eventually. And young people care about this in a smarter. Is that optimism way. Or,
1: or complete I, dude,
0: cynicism? It's both. Maybe it's both. I don't know. Um. But I, they, they care. Like, again, you, you talk to there, there are so many incre- like after the Parkland stuff, uh, incredible young people in Florida, uh, uh, creating communities and activating themselves. And again, there's lots of people down on the Capitol on Thursday morning. Their parents are involved in this. Again, we have agency. We can stop this. It, 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 it's going to be very, very hard. I'm not suggesting it's easy. But it but it's an issue that is solvable. And I think young people are going to be the driving force on all of it in the next 10 years. So that that's my only hope. Does that keep my daughter safe? No, uh, but that's that is my hope with all of this. So
1: I have one thing to I have one thing in all of this to recommend uh, my my friend, uh, Margaret. Whis- whiskey. Is it
0: whiskey? <laughs> it,
1: is, it, is, it is drinking. Uh, my friend, Margaret Wrinkle, who is uh, who lives here in town. And uh, writes for the write writes an opinion piece every couple of weeks for the for the New York Times and and uh, Margaret is like one of the more gifted writers uh, around. She's just fantastic. Um, She wrote uh, she wrote a piece that went went up on the New York Times uh, as a guest essay in their opinion section, uh, called uh, "That's an open letter to Governor Lee." And I would just encourage people to go to go to go read that because Margaret is Margaret is not someone who is ever going to, you know, take to the streets. Um but Margaret it comes from uh comes from a family of teachers. Uh uh and her perspective on this I thought was just yep. crushing. Uh, And, and, you know, I'm recommending something that uh, that is that is a highly um, is a highly emotional piece. But uh, it it is just one of the one of the best things I've read in a while. And I would encourage uh, I would encourage encourage people to go check it out.
0: Well, and and my last word here is to take to the streets. (laughs) My last word is proverbial proverbially, if I could say the word Um, you have agency. You can do that. You can affect change. You can Mom's Demand Action is a great place to start. You can vote. You can become an activist. You can run for office. You can donate time. You can donate money. You can do things that 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 help the the fight. Um, that help the the cause here. So, um, just remember you have agency. Uh, even if it's just a little bit. Even if it's just one vote. Even know know exactly where all the people you're voting for stand on issues like this. Know where your favorite sports teams. Stand on issues like this again. If you want to hear Wes and Tim talk about that exact issue, I recommend listening to the to, to club and country. If you want to hear Michael Gallagher and I talk about the Preds and what they do around this stuff, make sure you check out the gold standard. Uh, we're going to talk about it with we talked about it on Thursday's episode of a football show. Uh, Zach and I about the Titans and Amy Adams' Strunk statement. Um, you can do more than just put out statements, you can actually become an activist and donate time and money so you have agency in all of this special thanks to jaspers of course for supporting us um through uh, through all this uh, special thanks to Dwayne and sandy for joining us for steve cavendish i am Braden gall everyone try to have uh, a pleasant weekend thank you for listening this has been lame stream sports here on the 440 sports network